This is Life of an Architect, a podcast dedicated to all things architecture, with a little bit of life thrown in for balance. Graphics are the language that architects use to communicate intent to the people we serve. We draw to explain our designs. We draw to explain what material we want to use. We draw to articulate how we want something to be built. So to that end, it seemed like a perfectly good topic for an architectural podcast. Welcome to episode 90, Architectural Graphics. Welcome to the Life of an Architect podcast. I'm Bob Borson. And I'm Andrew Hawkins. And today we are talking about architectural graphics. And I suppose the first thing we should address is what does that even mean? Are we talking about sketching? Drafting, 3D modeling, what? I say yes. <laughs> yeah, I was like, all of it? It's representation, any sort of representation of, of an architectural idea. So it could be, yeah, any of those things or even other things. Well, I shouldn't say that. Not like physical models or things like that, although that's representation, but that's not necessarily graphics. Right. Paper, paper made things, I would assume. Things made on, yeah. on paper? Even though nobody uses paper anymore either, but things put down on paper. You know, I have a funny picture from my office. I have a, a new guy that started for me. He's pretty awesome. Uh, on a scale of one to awesome, he's right at the awesome one. And he was doing some work, and I was like, I want you to print this out, and I want you to bring it to me. I want to look at the printed out version, because I anticipated that what he had drawn and how it was going to manifest itself on the page were not the same in his mind. Yeah. I was like, print it out and bring it to me. And he goes, how do I print it out? And I was like, oh, we have a, we, <laughs> we have a giant, we have a giant plotter. Yeah. And hopefully he, that wasn't a, that dumb of a question, it, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, he didn't say quite so uninformed. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, yeah, this is the plotter. Like get it a full size. I don't want, I never ask people to print stuff out for me. They come to me on eight and a half by 11 and I go, is this to scale? Yeah. I don't want to just see it. I want to have it to a scale. And in this case, we're talking about what does it look like when it gets printed out on paper? And that means I want it to be actual size. So he goes in after like 30 minutes, he comes back and he's like, we're having a problem with the plotter. We can't figure some stuff out. <laughs> <laughs> and somebody unrelated to this whole thing walked by, saw like six people all messing with the plotter. And none of them are like the plotter guy. Yeah. We have like two guys that something's up with the plotter. You go to one of the plotter guys. Yeah. They're kind of, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, those two guys weren't in. So he's like, we're taking out the drum. We're probably not supposed to be doing this or doing that. But, you know, we're trying to make it work. And I was like, ah, just figure it out. I said that super dismissive. I probably said it the same way. I was like, I don't care. All I want, I want you to figure it out, plot it out, and bring yeah, it to Just me. bring me a printed sheet, whatever yeah, that that's takes. all I want. That's yeah. all I want. Yeah. So part of the reason, you know, that I mentioned that we did that is I wanted to see a final product printed on a piece of paper so we could talk about how he draws things. How does he? Take that next step to make things look more legible. So I thought, you know, this is why this would make a great topic for a, a podcast or a blog post, anything. Let's talk about architectural graphics. So to that end, when I say that term to you, architectural graphics, what comes to your mind? And I don't mean you have options. It can mean A, B, or C. When I say architectural graphics, you know there's one thing that's at the front of the line. What's that thing that's at the front of the line for you? I don't know. I don't know how to answer that. I mean, like a specific drawing or a style of drawing or what? Yeah, I mean, if I said, hey. I mean, to me, when you say architectural graphics, the first thing that pops in my head is sections. Oh, yeah. But that's because I'm a section guy. Okay, all right. Well, I don't actually mean like elevations or whatever, but I mean, are you talking, is it computer drawings? Is, is that architectural graphics? If I say, hey, we're going to talk about architectural graphics. Not what could it mean? Yeah, it's like you said earlier, it's computer drawings, it's hand drawings. No, but which one's first? That's what I want to know from you. It's computer drawings first for me. If that, if that helps you answer that question. I mean, yeah, probably. At this point in time, yes. In this day and age, it's always computer drawings. Yeah. And so I thought that was kind of interesting because, you know, we both came, at least I did. I shouldn't speak for you. You are a scooch of a bit younger. I did too, though. Did you? I did too, though. Okay. So I had drawing classes in college. I didn't have drafting classes, which I look back on. I go, that seems kind of amazing to me. I had both. Did you? Yeah, I had both. Yeah. Like somebody actually said, hey, we're going to teach you how to draw these types of drawings. Mm -hmm. 
I don't remember ever having that class. I took a hand drafting class and I had to letter and stuff. And my lettering was garbage. Now we had to letter. Oh yeah. We had to do that. Essentially we drafted a set of construction documents in that class. That's essentially what we did. Interesting. Maybe I just forgot it. I took one of the last offerings of that class. I think they, they offered it one more semester after I took it in whatever that is, the mid-90s, early 90s. 1890s. And after that, they were doing, at that time, I think they were doing MicroStation. There was computer drafting. I just opted for hand because to me that was, I felt that was better. I figured I could learn computer stuff later, but I wasn't going to be able to learn this from anyone else because it was dying. That wasn't even an option when I was in school. Huh. Zero people drafting on the computer. Hmm. So the fact that I came out of school, hand drawing, parallel bar, parallel bar, you know, Borco on the, you know, that kind of thing. I mean, that's what I did yeah. for the first several years coming out of school. And I want to say that the office I worked at at the time, it was probably 1995 when we finally got a guy in who knew AutoCAD. Like nobody in the office was, was on the computer. This guy came in and in fact, my dad helped put together the specs for us to have a computer with enough juice to do what we needed to do. Yeah. And this guy's role was to draft the typical details that we tended to use over and over again. So that all we, the time. Yeah, yeah. So we could create a sheet that we didn't have to hand draw every single time. That was the origin of all this. Yeah. I also think that, and I don't know if this is true. So maybe you in your professorial capacity can speak to this more than I can. Okay. But so not only did I, I don't recall ever being taught how to draw elevations. Like, oh, put your plan down and put a piece of paper here and draw lines up. Like, you were just ex oh, really? Yeah, you just expected to know it or see it or absorb it or something. Interesting. But what I thought was kind of interesting about that whole process was I think the act of you drafting by hand gives you a different sensibility to pen weight that if you've never drafted by hand, you have no shot of really developing. That's my hot sports opinion. I partially agree. I partially agree. If no one in your education puts an emphasis on line weight, then yes. I like to think, at least, that I'm putting that emphasis on my students' work, and so they're going to understand it. You're right. They may not understand it as well as when you have to actually create it with your hand and make sense of it, but I think being able to put some emphasis on it and how you can make that happen in a digital sense, you can get there. Probably not as quickly, I think. But you can get there if somebody keeps hitting you over the head with it enough, Yeah, which is what I try to do. Well, you know, I remember going through the process of teaching the people in my office how to draw. So when we were in AutoCAD, and I'd have this for later down in the discussion, but I developed all the pen weight tables and standards and drawing standards for all the offices that I worked in. And I remember having to sit down with just about everybody, which I could do because it was all small firm kind of stuff. And I had to give them like a lesson in near, far, cutting through something like when do you make something light, extra light, profile, ground plane, like how do these lines work? Stuff that like you probably saw in every book you've ever read by Frank Ching. Yeah, right. Yeah, for sure. At least you should have. Yeah, and I have posts on it on my site for like the exact, I go, here, let's take an elevation, let's put a door in it, let's put some trim on it, and then talk about near, far, and how that informs you on your pen weight. Because in AutoCAD, back in those days, before we got to BIM, we drew elevations and details based on pen weight, not by what the thing was, right? If I was drawing a window detail, I didn't have a layer that was window, another layer that was wall or something. Yeah, I did. I drew it based on what I was cutting through and what was touching what, and if there was air next to it, and if it's near and if it was far. Yeah. So let me ask you this. Timeline of software. I thought it'd be fun to look at. Sure. Because I can tell you right now, and this is something you and I have talked about many times offline, a lot of the software that students today are learning, we don't use professionally. Mm -hmm. Very few people that I know use. Or very few people use. I don't understand that either. I have no idea why that happens, but. I've never been in an office where somebody has used Rhino, ever. Yeah. You know, I go, why do they use it? I don't know. You know, I've seen some of the surveys and stuff. When I was getting one of those lectures on apps and software usage and all that kind of stuff. I was always finding those statistics on that. And yeah, Rhino was like maybe 10% of the firms that were ever surveyed. And, you know, it was really small. And I don't know, I guess it's because it's, they can make funky stuff in it. That's where you make all those outlandish, extravagant things in Rhino because it's easier to do it there than in other software, I think. Hmm. 
but I don't know. I, I don't really understand it either. It seems to me that there's more. And look, I'm not the person that holds himself out as the let's be practical. But I will hang my hat on this one and say, if you've got your options, like if you have a choice, if someone's not advising you to learn something like Revit over Rhino, they're doing you a huge disservice. (laughs) Huge. Yeah. You know, I think at least I know where I teach, a lot of it's just kind of up in the air. There's only a handful of courses that actually require you to use a software, like pick this specific one and do it. Mm -hmm. And then I think that's another part of it is one of those is Rhino. And so they get comfortable in using it. And so therefore that's what they're going to use because they don't want to have to learn to do something else. Because in reality, there's not a lot of time for them to learn that stuff because there's no class for them to take that teaches them computer stuff. So they're having to learn that at the same time they're trying to do their design studio or whatever. And so once they learn one software, it seems like they tend to stick with it instead of trying to learn something new. Yeah. So I think it's just a matter of time and maybe effort, <laughs> but we won't get, we won't get into that. <laughs> we can save that conversation for the episode that we keep saying we're going to have on is architecture school broken. Yeah, all right. When we actually have that episode. So let me, let me throw out some titles, some software titles to you. Sure. And tell, and have you react to them. So this is what I learned and people might be stunned. Maybe they would. I don't say maybe they'd be shocked to learn that I don't know thousands of software. And I was like, no, they probably are not surprised by that at all. Yeah. I started in DataCAD mm-hmm. in 1995. DataCAD. Like what happened to them? Yeah. I don't know. So ironically, the next year in 1996, went to AutoCAD. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I stayed in AutoCAD forever. And I picked up Photoshop as a skill set probably in 97 or 98. Because in my office at the time, if you knew Photoshop, that got you out of drawing. (laughs) That got you out of drafting stuff. Yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. If you had that skill set, that's what made you more viable as a designer. That's a software that got you in the room when I was in at the firm I worked at. If you knew Photoshop, then you can do all these sweet graphics and we don't need you to draw movie theaters. We have other people that can't talk to people that draw this. Around that same time, we started using a software called TrueSpace, which was a three-dimensional modeling software. I've never heard of that one. I think they made the first Terminator movie using TrueSpace, actually. Yeah, I've never heard of that one. It was not an architectural software, Mm -hmm. but it made some pretty sweet. It's like, it was the first thing when you could make a shape and you could paint that surface. You could make it mirrored or glossy Mm. or matte. You know, and you can make these amazing images on it. And then I started learning SketchUp in the late 2000s. I went back and looked at the oldest file I had, and it was dated December of 2000. And I thought, well, I must have learned it before then. So I went and looked it up, and SketchUp didn't even exist until August of 2000. So that meant I was bleeding edge on that software. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And then really it was 2003 is when I feel like I mastered AutoCAD. Awesome as AutoCAD was in 2003, I was the best. I would put 2003 Bob up against any other 2003 person on the planet. On the planet, for sure. Mm. It has evolved well beyond my skill set now. Like before, it was just the way you measured it, which gets back to the point of our topic, was how did the drawings look? Because there were no smart drawings. Yeah. You drew by layer and by line. There was no intelligence to it. Like when you drew a wall section, it wasn't like a wall made up of parts. You drew individual lines that represented those parts. Yeah. Those parts. Yeah. I feel like for me, that was probably about 2006 or so when I feel like I'd yeah. probably mastered CAD and I would put myself up against anybody at that point because I was, granted, I only worked in, you know, a couple of offices. Two of them were mine, but I was in charge of all that stuff in my office too. I started in CAD, and like I said, I did some micro station. And then when I was in grad school, Form Z was a really big thing, a huge thing. I mean, I dabbled in it a little bit, but that was a big thing in the late 90s, I guess, is when that was. Yeah. All that Form Z stuff. And then, I mean, at that time, I was doing Photoshop. And I also, at that time, I did PageMaker, which became InDesign, essentially. And then in about '09. Maybe even 08 is when I, I started doing 3D stuff. Well, I mean, that's when I started in Revit. I was doing SketchUp stuff before that, I guess. But 
that's when I started actually dealing with that. You should have put some money in that right there, Andrew. I should have, but I didn't know. And at that point in time, I didn't have any money. That's back when I was making, you know, not much money. Yeah. You're going to put baloney into it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's what I have to offer. I'll give you a dollar and 50 cents. That's about all I yeah. can put into it. You know, it's funny. I didn't learn InDesign. I mean, I'm leaving off things like, and this is something I've talked about in resumes. You know, when people say they know Word and Excel. I know Microsoft Office. If you don't, that's a bigger problem. Yeah. I was like, nobody should tell anybody that they know that. Like, it's just assumed. Yeah, you shouldn't have to tell If you don't know it, yeah. yeah. So I'm leaving all those off. I know Internet Explorer. I know. It's not 1999 (laughs) or like 2001 when that might have been useful. Yeah. I never learned Illustrator, which I wish I had. But I did learn InDesign in 2016. Hmm. And that's because that's when I went for my fellow, my AI fellow, and I had to do my own application. Yeah. Unlike all these other people that have like marketing departments that do it. Yeah. I'm not bitter about that at all. I know. I know. <laughs> yeah. So I had to, I had to learn this software just so I could lay out my 40 pages of misery Yeah, in order to submit that application. And so I feel like I got pretty good at it. Yeah. Certainly uh, a skill set that I have in my back pocket. But, you know, when I think back to 92 when I graduated, a very few firms were computer drawing at that point. I mean, like big firm, no small firms. Yeah, were. yeah, it was too expensive. Yeah, big firms were, and I remember doing a summer internship like the year before with a group, and they had like a a reel to reel data storage room where it had like tape is yeah. how everything yeah, had yeah. to be refrigerated at like <laughs> so twenty degrees. You went in and you're like, "Would you like to play a game?" Yes. Yeah. And it was all like it looked like we just. <laughs> took a chunk from NASA yeah, and just exactly. dropped it into our yep. studio. And they had these they had these huge drawing boards that would like flip down. The monitors were built in and they're not flat screens, right? These are old, like the screens are yeah, CRTs or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you would have these buttons that you would push on your drawing desktop. Mm-hmm. You had to enter in the way that you would enter in your information was Cartesian style. You would say, go three foot four and one half inches at 90 degrees 90 degrees yeah. right and that's how you would have to tell it to move mm-hmm. those machines were like 50 grand a pop and they would run shifts they had two of them and they would have every eight hours a new group of two so somebody was working 24 hours a day on that thing 24 hours a day somebody's working on them. Yeah. and somebody would have like the midnight to 8 a.m shift I would have loved that. That would have been great for me. Oh, God. And they're just drafting away the standard, typical details, because I'm sure that's what they were doing, right? I mean, like, uh, yeah. all that kind of and stuff, learning, same thing. Yeah, yeah, and developing no skills. They can't talk to human beings. They don't ever talk to a client. Like, yeah. look, the only reason you would take that job is you're like, I already am conceding that I'm in a dead-end position. <laughs> you know, that all I do, I don't need to talk to another human being. That's got to be a red flag in your career if you're the guy that's drawing from 8, you know, from 12 a.m. to 8 a.m. Maybe. Nobody else in the office. Maybe. I think it depends. I think you talk about Illustrator. I mean, I know it a little bit because I've had to learn it some, but it's funny. I, I find that a lot of my students, they do stuff in Illustrator that I can do in Photoshop because I know Photoshop so well. It's like I'm always talking about, well, just do it in Photoshop. Like, I'll do you in Illustrator. I think there are some differences in that, but I feel like... For the most part, most of the stuff I can do in Photoshop replaces stuff in Illustrator. There are a few things that are different that I think are really useful, but for what it's worth, I feel like I can make my own way in Photoshop and hang with Illustrator. Well, you know, the person who would argue against that would be the same person who would argue against AutoCAD versus Revit, right? It's the idea that in Photoshop, everything's pixelated. There's no real intelligence behind it. There's no scalability to it. So if you're an illustrator, especially if you're doing text. You can make vector stuff. Yeah. You can do vectors. You can scale it without any loss of, of you know, yeah. graphic sensibility to it. So in our own office, we have a small contingent that was like, we should do every presentation using Illustrator. Hmm. And then everyone else who's old says, we want PowerPoint. Oh, goodness. Yeah, no, no, no. We have people that are like, they're like masters. And I go, I can see why you don't want to not use this because what yeah. they can generate for their needs 
is supported within a program like PowerPoint, and they can just blast through it so fast. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is why they do it. That's a rabbit hole. Nobody cares about. That's right. Let's put that up. More from Life of an Architect in just a moment. Andrew and I are chatting today with Roderick Bates, the head of integrated practice at Enscape. In this position, Roderick is responsible for aligning the Enscape product with client design workflow and emerging industry trends. Hi, Roderick. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing wonderful, and thank you for having me here. I appreciate it. We're happy to, to have you. I'm a big fan of Enscape. I've used it on my projects for years. I've actually written a couple of blog posts about it. So when Enscape reached out and says, hey, you want to collaborate? And I was like, yeah, actually I do because I like your product and I use it. So that's a big deal for us. So on the slight chance that someone listening today is not familiar, Enscape delivers high quality 3D real-time rendering and visualization software to enable continuous innovation through accessible design technology. Architects and designers worldwide use Enscape software to unleash their creativity and make the built environment tangible before it exists. I think that's a pretty reasonable elevator blurb to throw out to people before they get ready, but I'd like to talk, Roderick, a little bit about integrated practice and how Enscape can better serve the needs of the people that use the software. Absolutely. And I think one of the challenges about design, of course, is that it's a moving target. The way that people designed buildings 10 years ago is not the way they design buildings now. And one of the biggest changes is that people are using more sophisticated modeling platforms to design their buildings before they're constructed. And those design platforms are ones in which don't necessarily have the same visual legibility from a visual perspective as, say, the real world. Obviously, they're there for design documentation. Mm -hmm. So Enscape as its whole is about closing that gap between essentially what you've designed and what it's actually going to look like once it's complete. And part of my job is to think about all the other ways in which we can make that process of bringing your design to life even more realistic during the design phase to enable decision-making and improve design workflows. So that has everything to do with collaboration. How can we have a shared visual artifact across a full design team, you know, from say the engineers, the architects, the client, all the various stakeholders can have a shared visual artifact to understand the design and make important decisions. But also, how do you bring in additional data that may be relevant? Building is a lot more than just the geometry. There's a lot of additional pieces that are important. So part of my job in the context of integrated practice is to understand what are those challenges? What's the information people need to make design decisions? And then how can we integrate that into the Enscape product? Yeah, it's interesting that you brought up some of those points because as an Enscape user, especially during the pandemic, it has allowed us to communicate remotely with people in ways that were maybe not as straightforward or as easy as they might have been in years past. We use Enscape as a design tool, a design communication tool when working digitally with our clients that are not located, in, not only in the, not in the same room, but not even the same state. And that's really helped our workflow process. Oh, it's huge. And I think that having that type of client engagement, one in which you don't have to necessarily educate someone to interpret an Enscape rendering. It's that immersive environment that you can have, say, even if it's a VR or a panorama or what have you. It's something that people can look at and instantly understand and make informed design decisions around, even if they're not necessarily trained in the art of, of, say, architecture. Along those lines, also what you said earlier, what is Enscape pushing towards to integrate more than just geometries and things like that? Well, I think one of the components that we're realizing is that, first of all, there's two different directions. One is there's more information that architects themselves need. Maybe questions about building performance is obviously a big topic that comes up quite a bit. But then there's also all the auxiliary information that comes along with a particular design model. So those are things, you know, maybe say related to specifications and whatnot, you know, the things that are really the the brass tacks that make a building come together. You know, that's one of the pieces that we're certainly investigating and actively pursuing on a product level. But the other component is also how do you bring in the other players that are relevant to a building and other aspects of that building lifecycle? A building isn't just existing during the design phase. It's one that maybe goes through a very early planning phase, say, as it's related to making an economic argument for even building a building. And that might be reflected in the integration, the SDK integration we have with an outfit called TestFit that allows for real estate developers to very rapidly assess from a a spatial efficiency perspective, uh, building opportunities, all the way through to things that are about construction enablement. 
Are there ways in which the type of rendering that's enabled in Enscape, or maybe with some manipulations in the context of, say, AR and things like that, can really benefit people in the field that are trying to figure out, well, how do I take this crazy architect's vision and actually manifest it into a building that reflects what's been documented? First off, there's no such thing as a crazy architect. Let's just make that clear. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. But when you think about it, though, historically speaking, there's certainly been some examples where there was incredibly tight collaboration. You know, if you look at, say, the the TWA Flight Center or something like that, just think of that level of collaboration that had to happen then. And what are the opportunities now to, to have that same type of visionary building that really pushes the visual, the technical limits of materials? And what are the opportunities to help communicate those types of designs through visualization in the field? I think that there's ways in which we can go far beyond where we are right now. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Roderick, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate you coming on and talking about Enscape with us. Oh, absolutely. Our, our pleasure. There's few things I like talking about more. Yeah. Well, let me close on saying Enscape is offering a free 14-day trial. And all you have to do to give the software a test run is to visit the Enscape website at Enscape3D.com forward slash life of an architect. So you can see for yourself why Enscape is the leading real-time rendering and virtual reality tool for the global AEC market. Thanks again, Roderick. We appreciate the time. Yeah, thanks so much. Absolutely. When you were talking about that, those $50,000 machines, is, I remember when, I mean, I learned AutoCAD when there were no colors. Oh, yeah. The lines were all the same color. That's how I learned AutoCAD. Whenever it was, I don't know, release 13 or something, when they added color, you know, I was like, wow, this just got crazy. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So let's, let's remember, cause I'm going to bring up color in a minute. So let's segue into the drafting part of it. Cause how an architect draws is a reflection of many things. And you can frequently tell the priorities of a firm just by looking at the quality of their drawings. In my notes, I bolded quality of the drawings because it's not about the content. The conversation we're having is not a conversation about the content. It has to do with the quality. And when I talk about the graphic quality of the drawings, it's not just semantics. I think, and I've maintained this every time somebody will actually let me talk about it, that it speaks to the culture of the firm. For the purpose of today's article, I'm going to assume that all architectural drawings are correct and serve their purpose for conveying intent, scope, and quantity. So we're taking quality of the drawing and making that our focus, not the content. Yeah. Right? We're kind of pulling out the informational part, in a sense. Yeah. So if I take two drawings that have the exact same data in them, I can make one drastically more valuable than the other just by how I lay it out, how I add pen weight, how I add hatching, the way that I convey information here goes beyond attach this to that and make it this long. It tells something to the person who's reading the drawing. When they read it, not only do you understand it, they're getting an idea of what my expectations might be based on the quality of the information I'm giving them. I believe that with every fiber of my being. I mean, I agree. I think that that matters. I would say I think that matters less and less now, unfortunately, because it happens less and less. If that makes sense, I feel like people that we're delivering our drawings to are used to seeing poor quality drawings now. And so they're able to get what they need out of it. It's a terrible thing to say, a bad comparison to make, I guess. But I mean, I agree with that, even in the way that you arrange the drawings in the set and all that kind of stuff too. But I mean, I think the drawings themselves, if they're quality, you can understand them actually faster, I think is really what it is, right? I mean, they, they speak more and are easier to comprehend. Well, so we're going through that right now because... One of the bullet points I had here was, you know, to kind of show some skins on the wall is literally every firm that I've worked for, other than 1995 to 1997, when I learned AutoCAD, quite honestly, I've changed their graphic standards, their laying, layering standards, their symbols, like all the stuff that I've written, these architectural graphic 101s, I have through force of just personality. Stubbornness. Yeah, I didn't say it was good, personality, (laughs) but just it matters so much to me that I end up making it matter to other people. Or they just concede. (laughs) You know what? Either way, I get what I want, and I'm fine with it. I got you. But I will tell you that when I got to Book of Pal, I thought, well, that's the end of that that run. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're not going to change 
Or they should have something in place already or whatever. Yeah, they're like, this is how we do it. Yeah. But, comma, when I started the residential studio, I'm like looking over my shoulder. I'm like, we're not going to draw. We're changing this stuff. And I made the argument that it has to do with the audience that I'm speaking to. When I speak to a residential contractor, it's different than if I Mm. speak to an army of people that make up the commercial contractor's team. Yeah. And I will tell you that there's good and there's bad that comes out of, I'm learning it now. So when I produce this amazing set of drawings for this project we're doing down in San Antonio, and you know what? I look at it and I go, God, there's so many things that aren't what they should be. There's so much information we haven't provided. Mm -hmm. I went down to San Antonio. We met with contractors. We showed them the drawings. Every single one of them goes, number one, these are the most amazing drawings that we've ever seen. I have never gotten a set of drawings that's complete ever in my career. It's going to cost you more money. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I would say too. They look at it and they're like, part of me conveying the idea that I care and they're receiving the idea that we care. And it comes across, right? So they look at it and they go, oh, well, this is going to cost more. And I go, wait a minute. I haven't asked you to do anything spectacular in this project. You're looking at a set when you're used to getting eight pages and you get my set that has 68 pages. And you're going, well, clearly this house is going to be more difficult. I go, it's not more difficult. It's less difficult because I've solved problems on paper for you. You're not going to have to call me when you go, hey, this doesn't align with that the way that we thought it would. And I go, I've already solved that problem. It's already worked through. Here's a detail for it. I got all that for you, my dude. I got all of it. Yeah, but it doesn't seem but to work that way. It doesn't seem to work that yeah. way. I remember when I was looking to build a house and I had it designed like that and I was kind of shopping it around and everybody was like, oh, wait, you know, we need plans, elevations, and a roof plan or something. Maybe one section. That's all we want. You know, I come at them with like a 25 page set of drawings or something. They're like, nope, this is going to cost too much because I had everything figured out and all the mill work done. Everything was detailed. Automatically, I feel like there's some knee jerk reaction of like, oh, it's going to cost more because there's more paper. But I'm like, no, it's because I figured it all out and it should be easier for you to do. Yeah. It should cost less because it's all been taken care of. Yeah. You're not going to have 20 people all standing around on the job site looking at some weird corner going, well, how we do about that? We've already dealt with all yeah. those things. So, but again, I think that's a rarity, and especially in commercial work. I mean, it's a huge rarity. Again, I'll do my bragging. I used to get comments on my commercial sets all the time about, like, this is a really good set of drawings. When we went to bid it, we found everything we needed, and we knew what was there, and blah, blah, you know, everything. It's like, we don't always get that. You know, I've never heard, I'd like somebody to message me. They can do it on the down low, and I won't call you out. But has anyone ever heard that their drawings suck? You know, everybody tells me, oh, I get compliments on how great my drawings are. And I can tell you, I've seen a lot of drawings. I have too. I go, I don't think these are great. Do you think they're great? Oh, yeah, I get told all the time how Mm -hmm. great they are. I'm like, from who? Yeah. Well, when I had that contractor in my office for a while, that was always fun. Because he would always tell me that. And he'd show me these other people's drawings. And they were just, we'd sit around and talk about how garbage they were. And he'd be like, they didn't tell me how to do any of this. And I was like, what? I was like, that's a basic element of the drawings. How do they miss that? You know, when you brought up the idea of when color was introduced, and I will tell you, color's gone gone again. Doesn't exist in Revit, unless you just like make everything like oh, a wacky yeah, color. Yeah. Like, the color doesn't represent mm-hmm. anything. So I learned how to draw when I was at RTKL. And the Dallas office was an outlier because they were the only ones that used AutoCAD in every other office at that time. If I remember correctly, it's possible I don't, but I'm pretty sure I'm right. They used MicroStation. And MicroStation at the time was limited to like 64 layers or something Mm. like that. And you couldn't name your layers. They were just numbered. So there's layers. One through one, two, God bless. 13, you know, whatever. Kill myself. You know what? I ended up, I loved it because we ended up knowing that to this day, I can say layer 10, that's interior wall. Layer 11, exterior profile line. Layer 14 was millwork. I still remember what the numbers were. And I could toggle between those layers. We set up all these list routines for all you old-time AutoCAD nice. people. We had a guy that wrote these list routines, and you could just hijack them, hack them to do what you needed. So I could just type in 12, and it would put me on layer 12. Yeah. And if layer 12 didn't exist, it would make it for me with the right line type and color and all that kind of stuff. And the pen weights were assigned to colors, right, because you get mm-hmm. – 
those STB files. Mm -hmm. And so I could look at your drawing, what color was, and I could say, I could just look and tell if something was on the right layer, if it was going to print out correctly. Because like your brain just gets used to seeing those colors. And so we, we would draw in plan based on layer, but we drew an elevation and detail based on color because color was assigned to pen weight. Mm -hmm. So like I said, we would have a window layer, but the window layer had a pen weight associated with it in plan view that never changed. But when I was doing a window detail, various parts of the wall of the window needed to be at different pen weights. So you couldn't draw, you had to draw by pen weight. Yeah. I just had different layers and all that stuff. Did you? My CAD system, we had 200 and I don't know, 13 layers or something like that. How, what? Everything got assigned a, a proper layer. Yeah. Nightmare. Did you, well, I yeah, remember I taught the, everybody to do it. Yeah. And everybody did it. Well, you also had that, you know, Gestapo, Andrew, when you're like, this is how you name your files and you had underscores. Yeah. Like you couldn't just say exterior wall section. You'd be exterior underscore wall underscore section. Right. That's how you had everything set up, even though. You didn't have to do that anymore. Well, because that's how I learned it way back when. And it just, then all the files <laughs> stayed the same. Yeah. Don't come at yeah. me. I'm not coming at you. <laughs> I'm just OCD like that. It's just how it is. Well, it just, it reflects that moment in our life where we learned how to do something and it made sense to us at some point. It clicked. And you're like, unless there's a reason to change, yeah. why would I change? This works. It works great. I know it. So that's part of the thing that we try to battle. You know, it's why Life of an Architect site exists, is that moment when you go, I'm not learning anything new. I'm just getting better at doing the things that I already know how to do. Yeah, I get that. Right. For sure. But I mean, file names are file names are file names. My way's just fine. (laughs) All right. So let me ask you this. You're jumping around a little bit. I know. As we're not even talking about architectural graphics at all anymore. We're just going to cut out all the file naming stuff here. Andrew's a psycho. (laughs) I got it. No, no, no. So when we talk about pen weight and we talk about the effort that goes well, let me do this let me let me do this so years ago when i started the architectural graphic series literally titled architectural graphics mm-hmm. 101 is what i started well all right let me back that up technically i wrote one on architectural graphics then architectural graphics like part two and people went so bananas over them, so whackers bonkers i was like well clearly I should make this into a, an ongoing series. Yeah, which I don't understand. I do understand. I get it. But like, there's a part of me that like, I don't understand the fascination with it, kind of. Like, I mean, like, when I've read those things, it, it's always like, yeah, they make perfect sense to me. I'm always like, duh. Yeah, but yeah, okay. <laughs> you know, and so it's like, I'm, I'm always amazed. At, I don't know, whatever, the popularity of them in a way. Okay, so let me do this. Like, live, real time. Yeah. I'm going to go to the website. This is the thing that boggles my mind. So on the upper right-hand corner of the website, it shows what are the current most 10. Yeah, the top 10. Top 10. Of the top 10, one, two, three, four, five. Five of them are the architectural graphic series articles. Five of them. And that's actually less than normal. Usually it's like six or seven. Usually it's almost all of them. Yeah. And here's the other thing. So I put these in order. So these are the topics that I covered. And there's only been one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. There's only been nine. So of the nine, five are in the top 10 right now. Yeah. And one, two, the dates on this, the most recent one was May of this year and then January of this year. But then 2020, there was a bunch of them in 2017. And I go, so clearly of all the ones I've written, the most popular ones on the site go back four years. There are articles that are four years old that are still being read more than any of the other ones. And I go, clearly something's resonating with people. Man, I don't disagree. It just, it astounds me. It just astounds me. Because to me, it's like, it seems like it's such a mundane thing. I mean, at least yeah. to me, but. Well, you know what I think it is? It's colleges and, and high school programs Probably. are referring their students to these to talk about, like, what are the resources? So let's say you want to know about reflected ceiling plans and you're a, yeah. you're a teacher at any level. Yeah. Right. Nobody told me about reflected ceiling plans when I was in college. Yeah. I mean, I can guarantee you that didn't happen. <laughs> That was the first one that I wrote. The very first Architecture Graphics 101 was on reflected ceiling Mm. plans. That was in January of 2017. 
I've covered drawing alignments and notes, line weight, layers, wall types, window schedules, title blocks, finish schedules, and symbols. In that order, those are the nine. And I bet if I could come up with 10 more, people would like those ones just as much. I don't think it would be hard to come up with 10 more, quite honestly. Yeah, but see, here's the challenge with the 10 more, and maybe it's starting to alleviate, is I want to use my... It's hard for me to... See how I can say this without getting myself in trouble. Oh, you want to use your own drawings and stuff, your own information. Yeah, yeah. I want to use my own yeah. drawings, and it's not my standards so much anymore, and it's not cool for me to refer to past jobs that I've worked at when I... Because this is my opinion, and my opinion is one voice in the crowd at a firm with 100 people. Yeah. When I was the voice in a firm of eight, people did what I told them to do. It was a lot different. Yeah. Right? Because nobody else cared. It wasn't that I was right or smarter or better. It's just they're like, hey, that guy cares. Let's just let him do it. None of us want to do it. None of us want to invest the time in figuring out how to generate finished schedules, which, I mean, I'm t- every single one of these, I can tell you of a moment about finished schedules and having an argument where ST was stone and not seating. Oh, I've had those kind of arguments in my office too. I mean, when we yeah would have arguments about how a finished schedule should work. Yeah. Or when people would say, hey, we're going to do it by a floor finish and a wall finish and a ceiling finish. I go, that's not how legends work. Right? And they're like, well, what if I want to put a tile on the wall? I go, it's still the same tile. Yeah. Just it's CT1. You put it on a floor, it's CT1. You put it on the wall, it's CT1. You want to put it on the ceiling, CT1. It's not a floor tile and a floor tile one. I mean, unless it's a different tile, but it's still. Yeah. Then guess what? Then it's CT2. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I know. Exactly. I was like, oh my God. Like even right now, I'm like, oh, I'm, it's like working me up. And I wrote that one a long time ago. Yeah. I can't tell me how many times I've like, you would thought I'm squaring up. Oh, we're about to get in a fight. <laughs> <laughs> Don't come at me with your stupid wall finish schedule garbage. Yeah. These are literally arguments that I've had in my office. Yeah. No, we had some about some of that stuff too. And the way it should lay out, the way it should read, what they should mean. I think we've had discussions over like, is it CT or is it? CR or, you know, what's carpet versus tile? How am I supposed to know the difference? And how do we abbreviate this and that? And, you know, we've had gotten to those arguments a lot about that stuff too. But it's oh, like, come PT on, is, oh, here you go. <laughs> PT is paint, not porcelain tile. Yeah, right. I know. <laughs> and I go, look, you know what? It could be banana. I don't really care. It's a legend, right? Banana equals this thing. Yeah. But it shouldn't be, if it's banana on the floor and it's banana on a wall, it's still banana, right? You don't have to make, yeah, it's not a floor banana and a wall banana. It's just a banana. <laughs> just banana. No, I know. So to that end, out of those nine, I, I just added these up. 424 comments on those. So people clearly. That's ridiculous. I don't know if passionate is the right word to put it, but that's a lot. Yeah. And it's generated over one and a quarter million page views. Those nine articles. It astounds me. It just astounds me. You're like, what? <laughs> yeah. But I guess, I mean, I guess so. If you're interested in it, right? Just like we're talking about. I mean, it seems like we have conversations about it a lot, but. Well, you know, I'd like people, if they have like a topic, an architectural graphics one-on-one topic that they would like me to cover, <laughs> let me know. I feel like I should start doing the, op- like, I should do my version of yours. And then, then we, you and I could get in arguments about what's right. And what's wrong. You know what? If you write, if you write an architectural graphics post and I don't like it, I'm taking it down. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, you know what? There's seniority's got got to have this some benefits. Is, I got you. It's got to have some I'm benefit sure. there, right? I'm sure. All right, so let's jump back a little bit to sketching. We said at the beginning, and I still believe this 100% that when we used to draw by hand, draft by hand. This is on top of sketching. Sketching was what we learned how to do first. Like we sketched first and then we drafted next. Mm -hmm. And some of the skills and sensibilities of near and far and cut and all that stuff from sketching migrated into our drafting, like our technical draft. Mm -hmm. And I've always had a hard time kind of bridging that gap about, like I still sketch using certain types of pens on certain types of paper and I still have a million sketchbooks. And you know, the truth is, is I don't sketch. Like art. I don't, I'm not an art sketcher. I'm a problem solving sketcher. I, I don't draw a lot of perspectives, quite honestly. I do a lot of massing study diagrams and material transitions. I, I do some material detailing kind of sketches. I just, 
it's a way for me to work through the process and ask myself questions, and I write my questions down on my sketches. So I have not migrated to things like the iPad yet. Or have I? Because hmm. as of yesterday. You're trying. As of yesterday, I have finally said I'm going to make a real go at this. So I went out. Did you just buy it yesterday? Yesterday, yeah. All right. You know what? It costs way more than it should. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I think I'm done. I mean, I go, I don't buy myself anything anymore. I deserve. <laughs> it's Christmas time. Gosh, dang it. That's right. It's your Christmas gift to yourself. Um, yeah, you know what? I'm going to say this is what I want. No one's going to get it for me, so I'm going to get it. And I do okay. So I'm gonna. So this is what I'm going to give myself this year. For the entirety of 2021, this is the thing that I gave myself. Just like I put it on the Christmas list. I got the exact the whole package like I described. I've got the Magic Keyboard. I've got the Apple Pencil. i got the iPad Pro 12.9 inch. i got the third generation chip. You know, I got all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And I spent six or seven hours yesterday setting it up. And I put a couple of apps on there, some specific ones. I'm not going to just jump straight in just like bogging my iPod down with, you know, whatever, Angry Birds. Which, for the record, I've never played Angry Birds. I see it and I go, why would anybody do that? I have other stupid games that I play. It's a good lesson in structures, but go ahead. Is it? All right, I'll take your word in. So I've downloaded... I downloaded four apps yesterday. I downloaded Procreate. Mm -hmm. And I'm still on the fence about Morfolio Trace. There's a reason why I'm considering Morfolio. There's a couple of things that it does that Procreate does not do that makes me think, eh, maybe this has value to it. And I, I need to put the time in. Mm -hmm. um, but I opened up Procreate, and man, let me tell you, I was killing it. I'm killing it already. Right out of the gate, I'm like, this is pretty awesome. The Apple Pencil, love it. Right, all that kind of stuff. I mean, I'm digging it. Doesn't have the lag, yeah. You know, because now the way that the screen is, like the the tip of the pencil, so close to the pixels now, that it doesn't feel like you're looking through ice. You know, at what you're drawing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I downloaded Lightroom mm -hmm. because I'm trying to say, all right, if I have this tool now, can I? Like even when we do podcasts, and I go, oh, I edit these pictures on my laptop. You know, well, technically. It's a, it is a laptop, but it's on a desktop. I have a document station. And I have to email stuff to myself so I get it on my phone so I can publish things and do the things I want to them yeah. for Instagram and whatever. I don't want to do that. Anymore. I want to, like, how can I take everything? Can I take my graphics? Can I take a photo? Can I sketch on top of the photo and chuck the photo or keep them both and superimpose them? And, you know, how can I create the graphics that I use to tell the stories that I tell day in, day out without having to go to a scanner and take a paper drawing and Xerox it and scan and then take that in and something digital and then add color to it. I need to remove some steps. Yeah, trying to streamline the process. Yes. Yeah, sure. So That's what I used to talk about all the time. I know. So that's why I'm drinking the Kool-Aid. I'm going to give it a real run for the money. And I, I bought Time Page, too. I'm going to give that a shot Some from Moleskine. Did you ever use mm -mm. Time Page? No, I have not. It's kind of like a organizing to do time page calendar yeah. app. Mm. I don't know if it's any good, but graphically it looks beautiful. So I'm <laughs> Yeah, I know. That and that's hard. I mean for us that's a that's a hard thing to beat, right? It's like God, it just looks so nice. And then if it if it works nice, then that's great. And if it doesn't, it's just frustrating. Well that kind of fits into my whole ethos, right? Like it looks good, so therefore I'll be able to understand it better. Right? Because mm -hmm. aesthetically it's telling me what I need to know in a manner, in a priority, in a sense that I need to understand it. So, Yeah, in a more intuitive way. Yeah. So, graphically understandable, which relates to what we're talking it's about. It's right? 100% of what we're trying to talk about. Yeah. So I'm going to dedicate an unusual amount of time between now and the end of the year to see if I can't figure out a way to bring that into my system. Maybe I should dedicate my time as well. Yeah, you ought to give it a shot because one of the things I'm really interested in, people don't know this and so we use GoToMeeting and we use Microsoft Teams a lot, a mm -hmm. lot now. Yeah. And I don't know why it is. I'm already kind of ambidextrous. Like, you know, I'm left-handed. You know, like I draw with my left hand. I kick a soccer ball with my right foot. I can bat from either side of the plate. It feels no difference to me at all. I golf right-handed because uh, part of it's when you're left-handed, people teach you how to do stuff the way they know how to do it, and they're right-handed. So that's just kind of what you learn. I don't know. So when I use those softwares, GoTo and uh, 
Microsoft Teams, and I draw on the screen, I'm drawing with a mouse, number one, not great, but with my right hand. So it's like, yeah. I mean, think about what a handicap it would be if all of a sudden you're going to say, hey, everything that you draw in a meeting that you're presenting to the client, you're going to use your incorrect hand to draw. Like how much more of a challenge is it? Because most people say drawing with the mouse is hard to begin with. Even if you can draw well with your hand, drawing with the mouse is that much harder. Now do it with the wrong hand. Mm -hmm. So I'm interested in seeing how I can hook up my iPad as a third monitor. Because since I use the mouse with my right hand, I'll still be able to like be driving the thing. Yeah. And I'll be able to draw with my left hand. And that's what I want to get on the screen. That's one of my goals. Let's figure out how I can make that happen. It shouldn't be hard. You should make that happen pretty easily. I think you're actually in a, in that sense, you're in a better condition because you are left-handed. I tried to do that a little bit last year. We were teaching everything online. For me to have the the iPad in the place, it's in the way everything else that I'm doing because it's all right-handed. I'm using the mouse right-handed. I'm trying to type on a keyboard right-handed. Be probably be better to have it on the other side and be able to still do what you needed to do. We're gonna see how that goes. I got to do a little research to figure out how I can like drag stuff across and put it on my iPad, but still be able to open it up in a program like Procreate and draw within it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Even if it's not Procreate, if it's something else, obviously, I got some new skills. I'm trying to learn. I'm going to give the old college try here. <laughs> Emphasis on old and college. <laughs> I know. This is, I'm going for my 11th PhD at my age. There you go. That's right. Okay. So we should put some closing thoughts in on this before we get to this holiday. All these r- ramblings of architecture graphics that we didn't talk about that much no we did i think we did we killed it (laughs) all right okay that's fair well there's a lot well look this wasn't about like how do you do the graphics when you're doing symbols or this is about like the scale the importance the like how do they evolve what kind of skill sets can you get that might lead you to being like naturally better at creating effective tools to communicate data than the not, right? So we talked a little bit about that, but in the blog post, there'll be links to the different types of architectural graphics series that we've done. And so if you want to do a deep dive into line types, ooh, I haven't done line types. I've done line weight. Maybe line types is one I need to do because I had to have lots of conversations about there you go. line types. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's yeah, that? What's a what's 2X? Whatever. Yeah. What's a center line? Yeah, yeah. Sec- that's not a section line. That's a property line. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It's not line dot dot line. It's line dash dash line. There's differences. Or line dash line or line dot line mean different things. Yes. Yes, they do. Yeah. So we're not getting that granular in today's post. So my wrap up is the same wrap up that I've probably written 15 times over. And that is architectural graphics are important. And they're not just important because I'm vain about it. Well, I I will concede that I, I am vain about it. I think that better drafted drawings lead to better communicated pieces of information. And that's kind of what our job is. So I, I don't know how everybody doesn't just line up and say, yes, give me the architectural graphic Kool-Aid. I am chugging it down. I mean, I agree. I think the big difference is sometimes it gets confused with aesthetics. This sort of idea of having good graphics is just an aesthetic thing. In reality, it's not. It is about being able to convey information properly and clearly. And it's not about just making pretty drawings, which I think is an argument that I hear sometimes. You know, they're technical drawings. They don't have to be pretty. It's not about that. It's about conveying the information in a way that's clear and easily understood by somebody that's going to look at it. I still remember, and this was the cabin I did up in Wisconsin. It was a very simple mass. It was so simple, in fact, that they were having a hard time understanding what they were looking at. So we sent them an option. We said, here's regular construction drawings, but here we turned on the shadows in this version. Because you go, who would ever turn on? You don't build shadows. That's why they're not in drawings, not in construction drawings. And they're like, yeah, we can actually read these better. We understand what's in front of what better. So we're like, you know what? I'm putting them in. And I got people that like blistered me for putting shadows in a construction drawing. And I was Mm -hmm. like, you know what? I'm going to do it every single time. If the contractor thinks that it helps them do what they need to do, why wouldn't I do that? I don't understand. I don't know an argument you can make that would get me to change my mind on that. Yeah. All right. So let's go to the would you rather, which which Andrew doesn't know. Let's do it. It's a mystery to me. <laughs> this will be the first time for me to hear it. So let's hit it. Well, technically I wrote it. I put it in the in in my bullet point notes. 
like 15 minutes before we started. So I, I haven't really come up. I mean, I think I know the answer, but we're going to critical think our way through to get to the right answer on this. Okay. Okay. It has a dollar amount in it too. And I had to adjust the dollar amount to the point where I find it's going to be painful. <laughs> well, it's going to make it interesting, right? That's um, hopefully that's what you did, right? It's going to make it interesting. Well, it's kind of like, you know, would you not clean yourself for $30,000 a month? Right. If I said, would you not clean yourself for a million dollars a month? You'd go done million dollars. Yeah. Um, yeah. Easy. Sure. Yeah. You got to make it to where it's like, Oh, I don't know. That's, that's enough money to make Is me, it enough but, for, yeah. Uh, yeah. All right, so here you go. Here's the question. Would you rather have $500,000 or be let into Area 51 and have all its secrets revealed? Uh, yeah, okay. Uh. And let me just tell you, I am not a they-are-among-us conspiracy person. Yeah. I'm not that person. I don't think that there's people that are actually lizards that just look like us living amongst us. It's not me. It's not my thing. Yeah, I know. It's probably more my thing. Man, that's actually that's actually a pretty tough one. Even though, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what is there or what would be there. To be able to know for certain would that would hold some weight. Like even if they just showed me up, and there's nothing there, but then I would know. I might be mad that I didn't take the five hundred thousand dollars. Yes, but I would know, right? But at the same time, it's like, does it really matter? <laughs> Is it really going to make a difference? Like, Yeah, would knowing move the needle for you? Oh, wow, there's stuff there. Big deal. I mean, you know, I mean, because I feel like it's either you believe or you don't, honestly. I mean, you either believe that there's stuff there and maybe there's not lizard people walking among us, but there's other life in this universe, or you don't, and so you don't care. And I don't know that seeing it, if it was actually there, would change my mind. I would go, look, I was right. You know, I mean, you know, it's not going to be like something crazy. I'm just be like, yeah, I was right all this time. Look, so let's put this out there for the people who listen, who may not know what Area 51 is. So Area 51 is the common name of a highly classified United States Air Force facility located in the Nevada Test and Training Range. A remote detachment administered by the Edwards Air Force Base. The facility is officially called Homey Airport. <laughs> so there's so much secrecy at this particular base that it is the subject of a ton of conspiracy theories and is almost always a central component in UFO folk. Mm-hmm. Right? Like if there's an alien somewhere that we have, that's where it is. It's at Area 51. or the If there's a spaceship. Or the crashed UFO from Roswell, that's where it's yep. at. It's all there. All these secrets are all there. And it's out in the middle of nowhere. Yep. Right? And you, Yeah, it's out in the desert in the middle of nowhere. And you can't even see it when you get to the gate because it's still like five miles yeah. from the gate or something like that. I mean, like. Yeah. So. Oh, I know all about it. <laughs> I know. And there's like the U2 program that's there, the Oxcart program that's there. The D-21 tag. So there's lots of like mysterious ships that are mm-hmm. are kind of based out of that. And there's the foreign technology. Like if they get something and they don't know what it is, that's supposed to be where they go to figure out. Because, you know, they're like shooting people, turning them into goo because they found some kind of secret weapon somewhere. Mm-hmm. It's in Area 51. So yep. this is it. Yep. All right. So so what are you going to do? You taking the money or are you getting the answers? I'm reading that you want the answers. Mm, I, yeah, I don't know. Again, I, I. That's not how this game works, Andrew. Like right off the bat, I say yes, I want the answers. But the more I think about it, I feel like you know what? Maybe I just take the money, because I don't know that the answers are going to help me with anything, change my mind, or I don't know what I'm going to get out of the answers or getting all those answers other than a sense of satisfaction, if that makes sense. And my sense of satisfaction is not worth five hundred grand. <laughs> well, okay. Here's another consideration for you. I'm assuming, even though it's not stated in my, in my question, that whatever you learn, you can't talk about it, right? So it's not like you learn there are, in fact, alien bodies. Heck, aliens are alive and well. Yeah, I'm not Instagramming it while I'm there. Yeah, yeah. Nah, no. Yeah, so you don't get to talk about it. So there is no, like, vindication. There's nothing for you to come out and say, see, I told you I was right. There's none of that. No, it would just be my own personal satisfaction. That's what I'm saying. So I think that's why I would just go with the money. I know what's out there anyway. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, this question didn't go either direction that I thought it would. 
I thought for sure you'd go, oh, I got to know, got to know. And that everyone would go, Bob's taking the money. I'm not taking the money. I got to know. No, you want to know? I want to know. I want to know. I would have never guessed that either. Yeah. Uh, that's crazy. Yeah. Part of it is that I don't like just the idea that I could know something that I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that's what bothers me. Right? That there's some information that's not available to you. Is that yes. really what it is? Right? Yes. Yeah. It's only what it is. Like, hey, there's, we know there's some stuff. What we don't know is what it is, but we know that there's some stuff there. Yeah. Like there's yeah. some stuff, secrets. I want to know those secrets, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care what the secrets are. I want to know them. Yeah, it's so terrible. Yeah. And see, I made the amount $500,000 because you know what? That's a lot of money. There's no question. That's a lot of money. Sure, sure. But I don't think, I mean, I hope, I hope $500,000 doesn't appreciably change my life at this point. Right. For some, I think it could. Well, if you were 25 years old, I'd say, you need to take the money. That has changed your life. You know what that could turn into by the time you actually might need it? I don't yeah. got that much time. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's what I'm like. There's not that much time left on the clock for me. I guess. Yeah. So the idea that I could know something that's so top secret, that is the ground zero. I mean, what other secrets are out there other than aliens that are better? JFK? JFK, maybe? Yeah. I don't know. Right? That's a big conspiracy. I kind of go. And sure. you know what? I'm not a conspiracy guy. But I, now, if you said a million dollars in money, give me the money. I'm fine. Sure. I don't need to know. I don't need to know that bad. $500,000? And that's why I'm like, I, it doesn't, I don't know. It doesn't change for me. What if I said $250,000? What if I said that? No, I'd probably still take the money. Okay, how little money could it go where you would say, all right, give me the secrets, man? It'd have to be pretty low. $25,000? <laughs> yeah, probably. Because again, I'm fine with the speculation of me thinking I know what's out there. And maybe also at some point I feel like it's going to become common knowledge anyway. And if it doesn't, then it doesn't. Not in your lifetime. But I'm not going to get anything out of it other than, again, my own personal satisfaction. Which, you know, that matters to me. I want <laughs> personal satisfaction. No, you just don't want to not know something that somebody else knows. Yeah. That so you just what? said it. You just want to know the secrets. I don't care about other people's secrets. Uh, whatever. <laughs> Give me the cold hard cash. It's not other people's secrets. That's not what we're about. If my neighbor Paul has a secret, I don't care. You know, everybody's got secrets. This. Well, what's the difference then? Is there alien life out there? Like, you could know. Like, you could know. <laughs> yes. you could not know. But see, you're making the assumption that... I'll know that they don't... That information is there. No, but I'll know that they don't know, which in a sense I now know. Either way, I know. I guess. What? No. <laughs> okay, but again, if let's say they don't have it, that still doesn't change my mind about whether or not alien life exists. Just means we haven't found it yet, from my standpoint. Yeah, so. yeah. But I, I like the idea that, like I thought about doing an alien question, but I was like... Felt like I needed to put a timeline to it, right? Because it doesn't mean in 5,000 years we're finally going to have contact with something. Yeah. That doesn't move my needle at all. But if it was, I would become privy or learn or it would happen in my lifetime and I could actually ex experience it, then that's a different conversation. Uh, okay. I mean, I guess you are experiencing it, but. The only thing you're experiencing is the knowledge that we found it, unless there's literally live aliens there in Area 51. There could be. <laughs> that could be home base for the men in black. Right? We, we just don't know. You don't know. You don't know. I know. I know now, yeah. but you don't know. Well, that's speculation beyond what I would intend to be there. So that's going further than my brain was going to go for it. So Okay. Well, everyone feel free to chime in on why I'm right. <laughs> Or why I'm wrong. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying I'm right. <laughs> it's different. Semantics was different. Sure. Sure. All right. This was an illuminating conversation for me. Both parts, architectural graphics, and the existence of alien life. <laughs> I hope everybody enjoyed it as well. But I think it's time to call it a wrap. Thank you for being with us today for episode 90, Architectural Graphics. Special thanks to our sponsor, Enscape, who is offering a free 14-day trial. To sign up, go to the Enscape website at enscape3d.com forward slash life of an architect. 
so you can see for yourself why Enscape is a leading real-time rendering and virtual reality tool for the global AEC market. Also, special thanks to our media partners, Building Design and Construction, for their ongoing support of the Life of an Architect podcast. If you like today's episode, please take the next 15 seconds and head over to your favorite podcast listening app and hit that subscribe or follow button so you can get ice cold new episodes automatically downloaded every two weeks. While you're there, please consider leaving us a comment, and I would greatly appreciate it if you would leave us a five pen weights rating. Be sure to visit the original lifeofanarchitect.com for show notes, links, info, and photos from this glorious episode. Thanks so much for tuning in. Take it easy, everybody. Cheers.